This is episode 15 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. Welcome to the Inner Game of Aging podcast, helping you to discover how to be older without growing old. And here's your host, turning this whole idea of aging upside down, Lee Mowat. Hello again, and welcome to the Inner Game of Aging podcast. This is episode 15. This episode contains part two of my discussion with Lisa Blackstock from SoulSherper.net. We discuss the state of our healthcare system and what you will need to be aware of as you get and pay for the medical attention needed by you and your loved ones. If you have not yet heard part one of this discussion from last week's episode, I urge you to do so. Not only does it set the tone for part two, but there are many tips and insights that will help you start to better control the outcomes connected to your medical care. Don't miss out. In this week's episode, Lisa and I talk about emergency rooms, appealing insurance decisions, you won't want to miss that, how to approach overworked doctors, social security and Medicare concerns, and even healthcare politics. It's another jam-packed conversation, chock full of useful information, so hang on to your earbuds or headphones, you don't want to miss this one. But allow me to give you a few comments and reminders before we get going. You can leave comments and share your experiences on the show notes page for this episode. This is especially important to do if you find yourself not particularly agreeing with the assumptions being made in what you're about to hear. The inner game of aging is always interested in presenting an accurate, balanced view on the topics that we cover. Sharing your thoughts and opinions broadens our view of these areas, presents all sides fairly, and helps us to escape our own biases in looking at these topics. So please share your thinking on the show notes page. There will also be links and resources there giving you even more information about the things that were mentioned in this episode. And you can find the show notes page at the following URL. Inner Game of Aging dot com forward slash IGA fifteen. We open up part two of this discussion with a few summarizing snippets from part one, and then we move into the flow of our talk for part two. So let's get to it. We spoke of the spiraling cost of our healthcare system. The fact that there are no price controls. Um, in, in my opinion, is the, the biggest unspoken um, club that, uh, by club I mean like a stick, mm-hmm. a big stick that a patient and a patient's loved ones have, have no comprehension of. We mentioned how this confusion over cost works against the healthcare consumer. And even though a patient may be going in with a prior authorization from their insurer, they still are basically blind because they do not know what the cost is going to be. We try to understand how these high profits affect both the large healthcare companies and the consumer at large. Um, because they're enjoying higher than ever before profits, they're not really motivated to change things. We revealed some profit-maximizing tactics that hospitals use. The, the increasing number of days that a patient stays in the hospital, in general, the less they're being reimbursed by insurance. And there were many questionable hospital strategies that we discussed. Beginning in January, hospitals will be required to tell Medicare patients who are under observation status that they are, in fact, under observation status, which means that their Medicare Part A hospital coverage is not in effect. Lisa tried to give an accurate picture of what the healthcare consumer is up against in dealing with his healthcare. You are at the mercy of people who have strategized 
medical care, medical pricing, and medical insurance. And then we mentioned medical billing errors, how ubiquitous they are. Well, the reality is most most medical bills do contain errors. I have to tell you that in my 27 years of being involved in this kind of work, I personally have never seen a medical bill, whether it be hospital, diagnostic facility, physician, or pathology, where I have not found an error. But she pointed to ways that medical costs can be negotiated, something most of us do not know. Every single medical cost is negotiable, regardless of whether you have a, a policy with an insurance company that is contracted with your provider. Every single cost is negotiable. Now, understanding how to negotiate those costs is a little bit of a specialty. And when it comes to the quality of our care, She mentioned how overworked medical caregivers are. I do not think that doctors are more reckless, that nurses are less caring, that the person who comes to serve your meal is any less caring. But these are the people um, in the system who I believe are the backbone, and I believe that their back is collectively being broken. And how this compromises the quality of our care. I found instances at at quality hospitals where I'll walk in and I'll see an IV bag connected to the IV line in one of my clients. And I always check the label on the bag and find somebody else's name on it. So with that as a backdrop, let us listen to part two of this conversation The information here is valuable to every healthcare consumer. I wanted to talk about emergency rooms. Mm -hmm. Um, Emergency rooms have a special problem with them. Um, You know, like... When a person goes into an emergency room, it's often under very stressful conditions. He's not listening. He's in pain, possibly. You know, he's there for a condition that needs, it's, it's, it may be acute. Uh, how, does, how does the hospital proceed with this? You know, is, is another way of asking the same question is, are hospital or emergency rooms high profit centers? That's another way. <laughs> they absolutely are, but I can also tell you that um, emergency rooms. I mean, thankfully, at least up to this point, um, I have not witnessed a situation where someone needing care, um, urgent care, has walked into an emergency room and has been disregarded. There is a liability issue there. And risk managers have become much more common in the hospital personnel mm-hmm. makeup as well as at medical insurance companies. No one, um, no one will be denied care. But what I see happening is, depending upon uh, whether someone is in or out of network with that emergency room despite the fact that the Affordable Care Act states that in a true emergency, every provider must consider you in network, Mm. which is one one good aspect of Mm -hmm. one of the few that that I will say is laudable about the Affordable Care Act. But I can't tell you how many people come to me after the fact with a hospital bill from the ER saying they told me I was out of network and I'm being asked to pay this out of network price. Well, I know if I appeal on their behalf and say, quote, the part of the Affordable Care Act that states um, in an emergency situation, every patient's insurance is to be considered in network. Oh, then they made a mistake and then they reversed the bill. And oh, then, really? Oh, Absolutely. The law is the law. Yes, but they don't follow it unless you hold them to it. Is that what you're suggesting? That's exactly right. Look, I mean, you know, another example, I mean, this is, you know, going back in time. But when um, 
when Upton Sinclair, I believe it was Upton Sinclair, uh, wrote The Jungle, mm-hmm. which exposed all of the violations that were going on in, in the meatpacking industry. Oh, I yes. hope I don't have my authors and titles mixed up, uh, as well as landlords, you know, who who are are known as slumlords yes. who don't provide heat and hot water. Mm-hmm. It's only when laws are passed and people enforce those laws in many cases where where the consumer gets the treatment that, that they are allowed under the law. Interesting. And this is what I find going on in healthcare today. Most people I mean, a lot of people ask me if I'm an attorney because it does involve a lot of detail, understanding policies, reading language, knowing what what that language means. Uh, And the average person um, just I I know myself. I don't have time to understand all this stuff. And if something happens to me. I would now have to become my own advocate without a person such as yourself. And I simply either I'm too sick to do it or if I'm well enough, I'm busy taking. I have to devote my whole life, a large section of my time to understand what's going on with my health care. I mean, it, it's almost like a full time job to do this. I, I, I can tell you that between the health of myself and my family and um, and close friends who you know about and my clients it it is non-stop there is no such thing as a five-day work week for me of an eight to ten hour day wow it it does not exist that's 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 impressive we've come to the point where taking care of our health has to be our full-time job. I mean, it's always been our full-time job. We always have to be responsible for health. That's always been the case. But now we have to protect ourselves from those who are not interested in protecting our health. In terms of, That's right. we have to protect our wallets and our health from those who are simply not interested in doing the same. And and sadly, those people are the people we never see when we're getting care. The people who have been put in the middle between the big profit makers and the people delivering care, uh, this is another very unfortunate um, development with healthcare providers is they are often the the point of anger and mm. outburst and rage of a patient or a patient's loved one. And I've learned that that these people, their hands are tied. A doctor's hands are tied. Mm. There, There is a way that you have to understand, to explain to someone who is your point person so they can go back and tell their supervisor, who, who I liken to the man behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> you know, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> they... Um, I, I actually really believe it is very cowardly, and mm, I think that's what I was thinking of. This is it is um, in their own personal self interest, and and it is cowardly, and I I believe it should be against the law, but it's not, and uh, I think that we we as healthcare consumers have to do everything we can do. To stay healthy to begin with. Yes, but yes. But in the event, because situations come up, n- know before you go. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's important. Now, I'm very know big that. on preventing because I'd like to keep as far distance as I can from the medical industry. But that's not always possible for me or others. We were talking about emergency rooms and we were saying that emergency room may try and collect an out-of-network free when it really should be in-network um collections what what other practices should we be careful of or look out for as it relates to emergency rooms okay i believe that until the notice act goes into effect um after the beginning of the new year i think that regardless of whether a patient is insured through medicare or any other plan it's very important to understand if a doctor tells you 
um, you know, we're going to have to keep you here for a while for whatever reason to keep an eye on you. I always make sure that I ask and I get in writing, they can provide it in writing because it's right on your computer record that you are an admitted inpatient as opposed to a patient who is there under observation status. That's very important to know because fighting a bill after the fact becomes much more expensive, much more complicated, and if you can protect yourself and minimize your costs at the outset, I try to educate people you know, to do that. Sure. So that's another important thing for the emergency room. So as if you're in an emergency room, somewhere up front, you should know that you're either in there under observation or in there as an admitted patient. You, that, you know, would, that inquiry would take place only if you're told you need to be kept at the hospital. Sure. I mean, if okay. you're, you're there for stitches, yeah. um, you know, generally you're, you're not going to stay there. To stay Right. But when you've been advised, you know, the doctor says, you know, we, we think it's wise to um, to keep an eye on you and have you mm -hmm. stay here. That seems to be the language now. They don't say you're going to be admitted. Mm -hmm. What I see, what is being said is we're going to have to keep you here and, uh, you know, and and just see how see, you react yeah. you sure. know, to your medication, if you need a procedure. Um, you cannot be too careful. Now, I'd like to move on to another area of this. We were talking about hospital administration and the the connection between hospital administration and insurance companies is an awful tight one. They, you know, um, administrations try to conduct themselves in a way that maximize their insurance, um, the income from insurance companies. And what are the... Um, how do I ask this question? What are the, some of the questionable practices that insurance companies do to keep its costs down? It's not unreasonable for any company to try and reduce its costs. Of uh, try keeping, you know, it, so, but what, how do insurance companies behave in ways that make them unethical if that's the case? I don't want to assume that's the case before you even answer. Right. I mean, and I have to say that I'm I am painting my experience with a broad general brush. I believe that there are still exceptions to the trend that I'm mm -hmm. seeing. All I know is that I am seeing and and getting so many more inquiries for help than ever before. And I am seeing new twists that hmm. I mean, they, they almost change all the time. Uh, give me and, an example uh, of a few. Give me an example of a few. Yeah. Well, one, I, I can tell you that um, I have a client in Las Vegas who was pre-approved by her insurance company, a very reputable national carrier. She had a PPO. She had written authorization of an approved procedure at the hospital. She showed up that day with her authorization. She was admitted. Her procedure was done. She stayed for four days and then she was discharged. She was sent a bill and she was told by the hospital, you know, in writing that the insurer had denied the coverage. It was not approved, which she didn't understand. And after she spent literally dozens of hours talking to people at the uh, the basic consumer service level, customer service level, which I never do, and I do not mm -hmm. advise that people do that because that's another obstructive wall that mm. I see. Mm. Um, we found out that the the contract that was in place between the insurer and the hospital where she sought care had just lapsed the day before. Because oh. contracts are renewed with insurance between insurance companies and hospitals on a rolling basis, mm -hmm. continually. Every insurer, I mean, everybody knows that every insurer has multiple policies that nobody understands because they make <laughs> your, your head spin. Uh. But on any given day, there are people who work at hospitals whose jobs are solely to negotiate contracts with insurers. 
And on any given day, I've even experienced this going to my own primary care physician. I was told, you know what, we are in a negotiation with this company over this plan. Now you're not covered. So you're, you're going to have to pay out of pocket. Well, what I did in the, in my case, it wasn't that big of a deal because uh, it was only uh, an in-office visit because it was a long-standing physician who, who I like and, and respect very much. And my physician's knowledge of me as an individual and patient, Mm -hmm. excuse my dog, Lee, what I ended up doing in the case of my, my client in Las Vegas was I sent a copy of the written authorization and the, um, the rejection by the hospital to the senior counsel of this national insurer and to the senior counsel of the owner of this hospital, because most hospitals, most private hospitals are owned by big corporations today. Mm. And I I believe that um, I'm seeing a trend where customer service people are given minimal education being paid minimally, hmm. um, they are sometimes calls get disconnected, and I don't. I've had to actually agree on a recorded line before someone would talk to me from a medical insurance company. Are you serious? The information that I was receiving was no guarantee of benefits, and I agreed to that waiver. Well, what what's the purpose of of the call? If, if they're telling me they've got it record, recorded that I'm saying, okay, I agree that maybe you're, I'm not going to get the correct information. Is this that is legal? Why, is that legal? You know, I, I, I don't know because I'm not a lawyer. All sure. I can tell you is it is being done. And, uh, you know, I look, these, these private hospitals have very sophisticated legal counsel, I'm sure that they've investigated everything wow. that they're doing and have found, look, I would consider that a loophole. Yeah. Um, the only knowledge I have about recording conversations is in many states, such as the state of California, you are not allowed to record a conversation with someone without their knowledge and agreement. That's right. But they do disclose in the beginning. So I... I just go straight to the top and and I issue it in writing and make sure that the attorneys whose job it is to prevent their employer from being sued. (laughs) (laughs) So they understand that language. And when I made the argument that, look, anybody who may make a mistake in quoting a price to a customer or giving some information, the standard procedure is they abide by their information and they just have to absorb the loss because it was their error. And I want to know how you can justify um, giving, giving written approval to my client who went to the hospital, had your written approval accepted, and now the insurer is trying to back out and the hospital's backing out because that contract was not in place that wow. day. Wow. But no, nobody told the patient. Now, this, actually, this sounds incredulous, actually. I, I do have to say that in that case, the insurance company uh, backtracked and, and they did cover the bill. Okay. Well, that's that's something good that happens. What you mentioned this one here. What are the, some of the other I'd hate to call them I hate to legitimize them and saying cost-saving strategies that insurance companies use to not pay legitimate bills. You okay. Know? Well, I I talked about the fact that they also have doctors on staff who will go head to head with doctors on a patient's behalf mm-hmm. where there's a difference of opinion as to whether or not something is medically necessary. And if a medical doctor working for a medical insurer says it's not medically necessary, a patient is held hostage because they can't have a procedure 
covered and and performed. now that's a question who should be determining what's medically necessary the provider well, or the insurance company i think ethically that's a very good question that our legislatures for whatever reason from a city state and national point of view have not addressed mm-hmm. but again there there are fine points where patients or someone on a patient's behalf can go to battle with this because people as insurance subscribers are allowed something called a peer-to-peer review. And it is a type of appeal where if, if my medical doctor believes that I need a CAT scan of, mm-hmm. for some reason, and my insurance company is coming back saying, our, our medical doctor has looked at your records and disagrees. It's not medically necessary. Most people give up at that point. Hmm. But there, there are avenues. There are appeal avenues that can be pursued. But in general, I do not see insurance companies making a good faith effort to notify their subscribers about this. And on the part of the, the private doctor... What I see is they are being asked to work so, so hard. Hmm. And the idea, I've actually drafted letters for doctors requesting a peer-to-peer, which means a team of doctors on behalf of the patient will actually have a peer review with a group of doctors from the insurance company Mm -hmm. to really go to bat in numbers for the patient, but very few people understand that they are entitled to a peer-to-peer review, let alone how to do it properly. But Give us some tips on that. Give us some tips on that, because that sounds like an important important thing for people to know about. Absolutely. Well, look, if, if anything is denied, whether it's a visit for a second opinion, a visit to a specialist, a visit... Um, you know, to a hospital or a day surgery clinic for procedure that is denied by insurance, then the next step is that your doctor can intervene on your behalf and directly contact the insurer with the detailed medical information and things like diagnostic codes are Mm -hmm. requested to justify why the doctor believes it is necessary. Sometimes I've drafted those letters just to make it easy for the doctor. I can look up medical codes. Um, My clients sign HIPAA releases, so I have access to their medical files. And I'm not a doctor, and I, I don't offer medical advice, but I do understand, for the most part, what is going on basically with a client's health condition, and I can follow that with the doctor with research that I can do online, with other doctors who I happen to know because I spend so much time around them who are happy to answer questions. Uh, here goes I a don't... question for you. This is, And feel free to say no here, but you've just suggested that you've had to write letters for doctors in this appeal process. Right, I for wonder... a doctor review. Just let me be clear. It is okay. for a doctor review to make the defi- the final decision whether they believe it is appropriate, they can edit it, but ultimately it does have to go to the insurer on his or her letterhead with his or her signature. Sure. So I, I will never, in, I mean, I operate in good faith and I would never ask a doctor to perform a procedure that I didn't think was mm-hmm. medically necessary, but I will help them by just setting up the language and knowing I've got the chart in front of me, it saves them time. Here goes a question. And- See if this is a reasonable question, Lisa. Uh, it may not be reasonable, you would know. Uh, you just mentioned this letter that you've helped a doctor write on his letterhead. I wonder it if... Plural. Is what? Letters. Oh, letters. I'm curious. I I would like to, and I'm thinking my audience would like this as well, just to see a sample of such a letter. Basically, I mean, it is a form letter that needs to be tailored to Mm -hmm. every particular patient. I mean, and it's, 
I mean, it is pretty logical. I mean, if you wanted a template. Yeah, that, that's basically what I'm looking for. I'm sure. looking to see a Absolutely. template of such a letter that I can include in sure. my show notes page here, because this is very curious. That, you know, if Let's if you break. can do that, I would sure. I would love to include it in my show notes page just to give my audience uh, an idea of what such a letter might. Not that they would use this template, you know, in the same way, but it gives them a more clear idea of what could be done how things can be handled and manipulated for their interests. So that would be a good thing to do. Yeah. So sure. no, I, I'm happy to, because look, I've done it so much. I, I could recite it to you off the top. Of my head. <laughs> there are certain things that need to be included that need to be demonstrated, but I mean, it really speaks to the fact that people have to become more involved in their health and their health care, because if they don't, there are not enough people paid by our traditional medical system who can do this for you. And not every patient can afford to retain the services of a patient advocate. Mm, that's right. Now, patient advocates like yourself, you typically deal with this almost on a daily basis uh, and you are seeing things that hmm, most of us don't even want to see. So the, um, I know you are taking care of an elderly person at home, Henry, and mm -hmm. he has, he has medical um, issues that must be attended to your clients have medical issues all over the place. So you are exposed to, Oh, just so much about this that most of us don't even see. What's right. your, what, what, you know, from such an exposure, what's what's your attitude? Are we getting better? Are we getting worse? Are we getting, you know, like, I mean, you, the whole flavor of this thing as it sits inside of your mind and heart. What, describe what you see there in, in terms of overall flavor. Okay, well, in, in general, people are living longer because they're not necessarily with quality of life. Mm -hmm. um, but people are living longer because of the advancements that that have been made in medicine. And but because of that, in general, they are requiring more care. Mm. Um, what I also see is there is um, the majority of the population is is underinformed mm. and does not feel compelled until after a crisis has occurred that um, they need to understand why it's important to have my health care directive in place, why I should really read or have somebody who understands how to read an insurance policy, what it really means. It means much more than what's my monthly premium, what's the name of my plan, and what's my deductible. You're that embarrassing is, me here. I just did that the other day when my policy came in. <laughs> You're embarrassing but that, that's me. <laughs> but, but look, people need, you know, we, we tend to be a society, I think, in general, that um, that is consumed with immediate gratification and entertainment. And I think this is reflected in the fact that people's savings are not great. Most people are not ready for retirement. A lot of people, um, I mean, I, I meet people who are patients who not only do they not have wills or trusts, they don't even know where the deed to their home is and how that is recorded. And I mean, to me, it, it's, re it's really frightening. You know, the fact that no one, that the Social Security Administration and Medicare will not recognize a power of attorney on a beneficiary's behalf, and they have their own one-page form that's available online called an appointment of representative, I deal with estate attorneys who don't even know that. Really? Can you explain what you just said there? It's not, you just said something that was confusing to me. Can you explain what you just said there? Most most people believe that if they have a, a last will and testament, um, a power of attorney for um, medical and legal reasons, and also a power of attorney, they're also called advanced health care directives or living wills, they believe that 
um, you know, they, they've they done all of their planning. Now, if they happen to be living in a geographic area and they own real estate, it, it's it's essential that that I believe that they hold their real estate in a trust because mm-hmm. there are just there are a lot of legal and and tax benefit reasons for doing that. But I can't tell you how many accountants, lawyers I've talked to who I've said, you know, my client is in the hospital and um, either they are widowed or their spouse is not competent. So they have an adult child or a, a friend trying to direct payment of their Social Security benefit, say, to a skilled nursing facility if they Mm -hmm. have to go there, they Social Security will not recognize a power of attorney. Mm -hmm. What do they recognize? They recognize their own form called appointment of representative. Okay, I have to check into this. It's a single page. If you Google Social Security um, appointment of representative. It's a well-known government form. Okay, but I'll have to include I've this on my show have... notes. <laughs> this has yeah, to be included also, on my show also, notes. Yeah, power of appointment for any government benefit, whether it's Social Security or Medicare. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do not. The government does not recognize. What what in California they call a general durable power of attorney, mm-hmm. you need a specific government program form called power appointment of representative. Interesting. Okay, well, that sounds like useful information. I'll be glad to share that with my audience. It's something I did not know. And so um, now we have to start to wrap up here, unfortunately, because, uh, yeah. What did we miss discussing here? This just this topic is so big, Lisa. Uh, my questions to you can't cover everything. Pick out one or two things right. that I didn't didn't get to ask you about that should be mentioned here in a topic like this. Anything, anything that okay. uh, and if, sure because the uh, I see that um, entering the hospital through the emergency room. And discharging out of a hospital through the conventional methods that are in place now, uh, patients and their loved ones are extremely vulnerable, not only from a health, but from a financial point of view. Mm. And I cannot um, emphasize enough that people, another thing you need to know, not just for Medicare, but every insurance company, if somebody tells you, You've got, you've got, you're, you're ready to go. Your Mm. hospitalist who you didn't see uh, said you were discharged on the iPad. So off you go Mm. and you haven't gotten your prescriptions filled, your medical equipment. People need to understand that they are protected under a patient bill of rights to, Mm. to appeal a premature discharge until their legitimate questions are answered. And I talk about a lot about this in my app. There, there's a there's a link to the Medicare appeal process. Most people don't even know that they have the option. Hmm. When the I'll- hospital employee working so hard to satisfy his or her quota and what's being told by their boss as far as it's time to discharge X number of patients today. A patient needs to understand so they don't have to find themselves readmitted into the hospital Mm. so they have the best chance of recovering. And in the event that they're not, their prognosis for recovery isn't good, if they don't get a doctor's order when they leave, even if it's a person who's terminally ill who would benefit tremendously by the hospice benefit, If a doctor doesn't write an order for that, the odds are very unlikely you're going to be able to go back to the hospital after the fact to get it. Mm. It's going to mean another doctor visit, you know, and if somebody is terminal, you know, I think about quality of life. I think Mm -hmm. about the strain, the emotional and the physical strain of what that is on a person and on a family. But there are so 
so many things. I mean, this this could be, you know, a class um, <laughs> in all these different things. And, you know, if depending upon, you know, what happens with you, I mean, Lee, people, people cannot be careful enough understanding what their insurance really means. And if they can't comprehend it because it's not simple yes if they can't comprehend they you cannot automatic automatically default to your spouse or one of your adult children okay i'm guilty i'm guilty i'm guilty (laughs) we're all guilty we're all when i thank you lisa brain surgery though my husband who is a Stanford graduate with an MBA, he was completely helpless in helping me. And it was my mother who was a nurse who who helped us both. But this was before the passage of the Affordable Care Act. It's gotten worse since then. You know, I tried to read my policy the other day. I, I tried to read my policy the other day. I made a good, honest effort because I just, you know, mm-hmm. Medicare and all the rest of the stuff. I looked at this thing for five minutes before I couldn't look at it anymore. And right. I consider myself an intelligent person. Oh, it's, it's it's horrible. I consider myself a fairly intelligent person. I figure I'm smart. I should be able to understand this thing. After five minutes, I had right. no desire to understand it. <laughs> so I just simply I lost understand. all desire. Well, that, that's part of where I think that it, it is ethically wrong that um, transparency isn't um, up front when it comes to the health of people. That's right. And to see it, the it, healthcare it's, it's, industry make so much of money right. off of this, you know, there, this confusion, this, you know, this difficulty in navigating the system, it all works in favor of the healthcare companies. Yeah, regardless of how the election turns out next mm-hmm. month on every level, I I cannot appeal to people more that what you're going to be hearing as far as political promises from anyone mm-hmm. all the way up to the presidency, all the way down to your your state representatives, your city representatives, your neighborhood representatives, people need to have a a better understanding of how the political process works. It is, uh, it's one of compromise. It's one of very intense negotiation and one where special interest groups, in my opinion, um, override the best interests of the public. That's obviously the, the case. When we look at our food, when we look at the, you know, how our food is being farmed, when we look at the medical industry, we know that special interests are controlling just so much. And when we look at the profits that these companies are making, and we see our own incomes, there's just something out of balance here. The healthcare issues that you and I've been discussing today, Lisa, is it's, there's much more here going on than that. I am not a conspiracy theorist or any, by any stretch of the imagination. I believe that our normal profit motive has destroyed us. You know, there's nothing wrong with oh, profit. I, I, absolutely. Look, fair, fair and reasonable profit Um, especially when you are dealing with people's health. If somebody wants to spend $300,000 and $50,000 on a luxury imported Italian sports car and they have the ability to do it, that's fine. But Mm -hmm. we're talking about humanity and supposedly a decent society. And I think that it's extremely important. I don't think there's any conspiracy. I think it's pretty obvious and open. I think it's right (laughs) out there if people take the time to educate themselves. There's no conspiracy. It's just an open, real life fact that most people don't want to address until they are forced to, but they're already playing catch up at that point. And it's, it's a very tough position to be in. Yes, yes, it is. And our lives have gotten so complicated these days, you know, with people working more than they ever did before, making less than they've done before, trying to provide the same amount. 
to take on our own personal health care to the extent that you as an advocate would do is extremely time consuming. We have to put aside everything else. Now, to do that, it's that comes from a need. And when that need comes, we're often playing catch up, as you say. Um, you know, you're prepared to serve in this manner um, on the on the turn of a dime because you've been here for so long. But most of us are are responding to our own need, and now we must learn something that is almost way beyond out of control. And we have to learn how to navigate this this system. It's it could be an unreasonable requirement for citizens in this country to do, but our health care is important. We have to pay attention I to it. Agree. I agree. So, so I don't know what the solution here is, but somehow or another, we are the ones who have to put in the solution. I do not believe that people will turn away from their own profit margins. I do not believe that the po politics will change things dramatically. And, and I don't believe that there's any hidden conspiracy behind these things. I just believe it's a natural human greed that is causing a lot of this stuff. Um, but, you know, like understanding how to navigate, I wish I had all the knowledge and experience that you did in my back pocket. You have an app called Dependable Doc, which I will eventually be reviewing f under for the inner game of aging. Um, Thank you. I, um, you know. Perhaps that may serve some of the audience to help them understand what they are going through. I hope to publish that more. But I want to put this message to all of my audience. Our healthcare has become very important and very big. As an as a national issue, healthcare is now exceeding some of the other issues that we're all concerned about. Our food supply our, you know, um, is another big issue. The way we farm our food, the way we process our food. These are all compromising our country. My message for my business is to grow older without ever growing old. I am very big on prevention. The things you mentioned, great social connections, exercising, nutrition. Nutrition has become a complicated one because there's so much confusion in our food these days. But you know, social connection and exercise, those are fairly simple. You know, you know, you have to move your body. If you want to stay away from the health healthcare industry as much as you can, you have to move, you have to eat right, you have to drink clear water, get your sleep, and all, all the other six things that I that I advocate in my business. So um yeah, the only way I know to minimize our exposure to the healthcare industry is to prevent us from getting in a bad way with our health. So, um, so that is what I preach, but that's not always possible. Things happen. I could come down with cancer tomorrow and would need to understand so much more than I do now about how to approach a hospital, or I can break another, you know, have another accident and having to negotiate or have my wife negotiate with an emergency room. There's so much I don't know here. There's so much none of us know with people like yourself. Included. Oh, that, I don't want to hear that. For you to tell no, me this stuff please. that you don't know. <laughs> well, all, all I know is that I believe that um, there are very strategic um, business plans in place by healthcare entities that have a vested interest in continuing to make a profit. And there isn't a week that goes by when I don't learn about like a new trick. Okay, let's wrap up this chat. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. Lisa's experience as a patient advocate allows her to see so much more than most of us get to see in taking care of just ourselves and our families. As mentioned in this talk, Lisa has graciously submitted a template that should help to solicit your doctor's efforts in challenging insurance claim denials that you may feel are incorrect. You can find this template and other such resources on the show notes page for this episode. Each and every episode of The Inner Game of Aging has its own dedicated show notes page. And once you know the episode number, you can easily determine the URL for the associated show notes page by the following pattern. 
It is innergameofaging.com followed by a forward slash, then followed by IGA, which stands for Inner Game of Aging, and finally followed by the episode number. So the show notes page for this episode would be innergameofaging.com forward slash IGA15. You can also share your experiences by leaving a comment on this page. Tell us what your experiences in this area have been, or perhaps you have a question for Lisa, or or even suggestions for the podcast in general. It is all welcomed on the show notes page. I appreciate the fact that you are out there and have found value in these conversations you are hearing. There is more useful information for you up ahead, so if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player so that you don't miss any of the topics that will be covered on upcoming podcast sessions. You can also help others find this podcast by leaving a review in iTunes. When searching for new podcasts to listen to, others will use the reviews to determine if they should give a listen or not. Your reviews communicate to others what you have found from listening to the Inner Game of Aging podcast. This helps to spread the message of growing older without growing old. Do you know others that need the information you've been listening to? Please share this podcast with your family and friends. You could be doing them a big favor. And as always, you can email me directly using lee at innergameofaging.com. I am pleased to interact with each and every email I receive, at least for the time being, while this brand is still growing. So until next time... Thanks for listening to the Inner Game of Aging podcast with Lima Watt. Check out more content by going to theinnergameofaging.com. That's theinnergameofaging, no spaces, dot com. Stay with us as we learn the many ways of being older without growing old.